Uno, dos, tres. Bienvenida a Planeta Dinero. Hello and welcome to Planet Money from a very snowy New York City. We are coming to you one day late, unfortunately, thanks to the insane weather here in New York. It is Wednesday, December 29th, 2010. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. And I'm Caitlin Kenny. That was Conche Conde Gabalan and Manolo Polonio Lopez from Cordoba, Spain. You heard at the top. Hannah, you met them while they were cutting school, right? They were cutting school right outside of their high school, and they were looking very fashionable while doing it. All right. Today on the show, Hannah, you're taking us away from this cold weather here in New York to Cordoba and Madrid. We're going to try to understand why some tiny Spanish banks in very small towns with very local peculiarities pose a threat to the global economy. But first, of course, we have our Planet Money Indicator. And today we'd like to welcome a very special guest. Our production assistant, Jess Jang, who's wonderful and very talented, is making her very first appearance on the podcast. Welcome, Jess. Thank you. Today's Planet Money Indicator is 4.8%. Sales at chain stores last week, Christmas week, were 4.8% higher compared to sales for the same week last year. This number comes from the International Council of Shopping Centers and Goldman Sachs. Which tells us more people were out buying stuff this year, and I did not go shopping last year, but I did go shopping on Christmas Eve day this year, and especially in the American Eagle with my 13-year-old sister, it was very packed. I felt that 4.8% increase. According to MasterCard, this holiday season wasn't just higher than last year, but it was higher than the previous five years. But wasn't consumer confidence down yesterday? I saw the number when it came out, and I noticed it was down from the month earlier. Yes, but it was a small dip after two months of increases. And if you look at the last year, consumer confidence is improving, even if it's happening at a glacial Jess Jang, the eternal optimist. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, Jess. Thanks. Okay, on to the show. Hannah, take me to Spain. Okay, so we are going to spend most of this show in the south of Spain, in Córdoba, where you heard those two delinquent teenagers. Córdoba is a small, old city. It's got beautiful, narrow, cobblestone streets and really gorgeous old buildings. And it also has a lot of banks, and actually lots of one particular bank, Cajasur, Cajasur ATMs seem to be like the Starbucks of Córdoba. Do you do you have a bank account with Cajasur? Sí, sí, sí. Una pensión que tengo, una poquita de pensión que tengo, nada más, y mi marido la suya. Sí, Cajasur comenzó. Mi familia, sí. También, yeah. mi padre. You can spend hours asking people in Córdoba, do you have an account with Cajasur? And the answer will always be yes, unless you are asking a nun, in which case she will tell you her order has their finances with Cajasur. So there are a couple dozen savings banks like Cajasur across Spain, and they're this uniquely Spanish type of bank. They're called Cajas de Oros, and in English literally translated into boxes of savings, savings boxes. They're small, very local, very trusted. And strangely, right at this moment, cajas are very important to the health of the entire global economy. So the show today is about what these tiny little banks have to do with you and me and how they could possibly bring down the global financial system. The entire crisis now is down to this problem, banking. This is Santiago Carbo Valverde. He's an economist at the University of Granada, and he's also very helpful in figuring out what these little banks in Spain have to do with my financial future and the future of the global economy. 
So, Hannah, let's just give some quick context about the crisis he's talking about, this European debt crisis. Last spring, Greece needed a bailout to avoid defaulting on its debt. And just last month, Ireland needed help, too, to save its banking system. People are worried that the debt crisis will keep spreading. There's talk now that Portugal might be next. And the thing we keep hearing is as long as it doesn't spread as far as Spain, it'll be okay. But if it spreads to Spain, that's a big, scary deal. That could have major implications for all of us across Europe and the United States. And whether or not it spreads to Spain has to do with this little bank in this small town and with the Spanish cajas. We're going to get back to the cajas in a minute. First, let's just lay out a roadmap of how this potential crisis would unfold, which happens to be something Santiago Carbo, the economist, was doing on his iPad the moment I met him. He was thinking about the worst case future whereby Spain brings down the global economy. So reading something that clearly had him spooked. So I should warn you that Santiago, when you hear him, comes off like a lighthearted guy. He chuckles a lot. But the longer we talked, the more I got the sense that this is a man who is freaked out. And when he laughs, you should just know it's this is actually a sign that he is telling you something he thinks of as very grave, very important, like here. The markets uh, are not lending any money to the Spanish banks. <laughs> Spanish banks. So, uh, problems in the banks in one country are... Co- causing contagion to other banks in other countries. The markets are not lending any money to the Spanish banks, including the Spanish cajas, which basically means the investors of the world are worried that Spanish banks might not be able to pay them back. So they begin to think, well, maybe I shouldn't be lending them money. And then they see that their investor pals are not lending money to Spanish banks. And they think, oh, okay, I definitely shouldn't be lending them money because if no one else is, then they definitely won't be able to pay me back. And if investors of the world start worrying that you can't pay back your debt, you can't pay back your debt because no one wants to lend to you to pay it back. And there are a lot of people out there worried that Spanish banks won't be able to do it. And that scares them because a lot of other countries have lent money to Spain. And this, Caitlin, is where Santiago takes out the iPad. And he pulls up the latest data from the Bank for International Settlements. This is an organization that puts out regular reports on how much various banks and governments have lent to each other. Spanish government and the Spanish banks owe to French banks $162 billion. <laughs> to German banks, $182 billion. To Ireland, the Irish Bank of Holland, that's $25 billion. Italy, $25 billion too. Netherlands, 72 billion. United States, 46 billion. 47 billion, sorry. 47 billion. So there are a lot of countries with a lot at stake in whether or not Spanish banks can pay back the money they owe. And part of the reason everyone's so freaked out is that Spain is really big. Its economy is twice the size of Ireland, Greece, and Portugal combined. The new European Stabilization Fund that was set up to bail out countries, it could handle Greece and Ireland, even Portugal but not Spain, too. And so the fear is that if the investors of the world decide that Spanish banks are too risky to lend to and the Spanish banks can't borrow money, they will fail. And if they fail, there's a good chance there won't be a backstop to save them. Spain and Europe just might not have the resources to do it. And the problem is that it's not just bad for that list of countries that 
are owed money by Spain. So think about, you know, if you're one of those skittish investors and maybe you haven't lent money to Spain, but imagine you've lent money to Germany and you read in the paper, Spanish banks may not be able to pay back their debt. And you're also going to go to your favorite internet browsing tool and look up those same Bank of International Settlement numbers and you'll see Spain owes German banks 182 billion euros. And you're going to think, wait, I lend money to German banks. All the uh, lenders to German banks will say, hey, do you think the German banks are going to be so healthy? Because now they are taking a hit from Spain. So you stop lending money to Germany because who knows if they'll be able to pay you back now that they probably got stiffed by Spain. So now people are worried about Germany, especially the people who lent money to Germany. Germany owes uh, 255 to France. 255 billion, okay? 254 billion to Italy. 146 to Japan. 150 to the Netherlands. 150 to the US. So this is the spreadsheet that tells you that Spain can take down the world. <laughs> well, in the worst case scenario, I won't say that. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the information that makes everybody worry. His laugh makes me worried, I have to say. <laughs> So big picture, the worst case scenario is that investors stop lending to Spain, which makes everyone worried about Germany, which makes everyone worried about France, which makes everyone worried about Italy and Japan and the U.S. Yeah, but that doesn't all happen in such an orderly step-by-step way. It happens in a matter of days or, or maybe even one panicked day. Everyone just freaks out about who owes who and stops lending. So Spain basically becomes the next Lehman Brothers. Yeah, well, I should say Santiago and lots of other people watching this closely do not necessarily think this will happen. This is the worst case scenario. But he says whether or not it does all comes down to those cajas, the savings banks, savings banks that are based on a bizarre 15th century banking model that for the hundreds of years that they've been in existence seemed like the last thing that would cause a crisis. The cajas have been safe and boring. That has been the tradition until a few years back. This is Luis Garicano, another economist who teaches at the London School of Economics. And he had actually been teaching all day when I talked to him. He was losing his voice, kept having to stop our conversation to sip his tea while we talked about what cajas are, and then later about what went wrong. So first, what is a caja? It's not a cooperative bank. It's not a bank. It's a, a foundation with a non-profit purpose, a non-profit organization, not-for-profit. And what it does is it lends and uh, borrows and uh, accepts deposits and it's usually pretty local or it was historically very local. It was based on a local market in a city and it would do good works in that city. Even though they're ultra local, cajas nationally are a big deal in Spain. More than 50% of Spanish bank deposits are in cajas. So this is basically the way a lot of people in Spain bank. But Hannah, I'm kind of confused. We're calling them banks, but he just said they're not for profit. Right. So they're a really weird kind of bank. The money that they make, they give back to the community. So they'll build community centers or they'll give grants. And then there's another big difference from banks, which is that they're not run by bankers. They have a board of directors. And the board of directors is made up of important people in town, not bankers, but politicians or local leaders. The people who run these institutions don't need to be very smart. They just need to know their market. It's very much about you are the branch manager and you work in a very uh, nine-to-five organization where everything is kind of slow and 
you know exactly uh, what uh, the restaurant owner how he's doing how many clients he has and you know uh, the doctor and you know the family next door you give mortgages give little loans to the cafeteria or to the restaurant and uh, take deposits. This is the way cajas have always operated all the way back to when they were founded. And generally, the way a caja got opened was that a local wealthy family or a local business would start one. There would be a board and the family or business would take seats on the board. And today, they'll still have some seats in the caja alongside a bunch of local politicians. And the way this works is, Luis says, in many cases, you know, there'll be someone who works in a local construction company or at the local flower shop, and they'll get elected to the town council, and then they'll get a seat on the board of the local caja. That's very common. Also, there is a caja in the south of Spain that was run by the Catholic Church. So all the people in the board and the managers, etc., were priests. That caja in the south of Spain, it's Caja Sor, the Starbucks of Cordoba, the one that everyone in Cordoba has an account with. Did you know that Cajasur was run by priests? So, Caitlin, I went to Cajasur because Cajasur had become sort of the poster child of what went wrong with the Caja system. Just like dozens of Cajas in Spain, Cajasur worked incredibly well for 150 plus years and then suddenly didn't. It fell apart. And also a bank run by priests just seemed a little weird. No, normal, normal. Sí, sí, sí. La gente se identificaba con la iglesia, sí. Just as everyone I talked to had their deposits in Cajasor, no one I talked to thought it was weird that the priests ran a bank. At one point, I realized, actually, that I was asking people, didn't you think it was weird in this random plaza? And I realized that we are surrounded on four sides, as I'm asking that question, by churches. Are we in the middle of four churches here? Right, there's this one? That's Most everyone in Cordoba is Catholic. The church is involved in every other part of people's lives. So it's not that surprising that they happen to run the bank, too. Why not the bank? Why not the bank? Didn't you just tell me they ran the bank into the ground? <laughs> well, only only after more than 100 years of running it perfectly well. So the trouble with Cajasor and with a lot of the Cajas in Spain started 10 years ago. So far away from Cordoba and the priests, something happened that ultimately transformed the Spanish cajas. Spain joined the euro. And those investors who are now scared of what may happen to Spain, 10 years ago, they felt exactly the opposite. Luis Garicano, the Spanish economist with the T, says 10 years ago, investors were excited for the many great things that may happen to Spain. They were eager to lend money to Spain and at very low rates. Spain, at some point uh, during the euro run, had lower borrowing rates than Germany. So the investors of the world thought that the, that Spain was a better bet than Germany. At, at several points in the euro run, incredibly enough, yes. None of the priests from Cajasur would talk to me, Caitlin. I called, I showed up, I wrote letters. But I did talk to a close ally of the Cajasur president and several people who worked closely with the board. And they all said this was a really exciting time for Cajasur when Spain joined the Eurozone. And the priests at this time would call board meetings where everyone would exclaim about how fast the country was growing and how there was money to be made. And they started to wonder aloud, wouldn't it be nice to maybe expand outside of Cordoba? We could make some of that money and we could put it back into our community. 
And all around the priests, you know, people seem to be making a lot of money in real estate. So they started to talk about building their own housing developments and then placing a Cajasor branch right in the middle of the new development so all the people could come and get their mortgage loans right there. And over the next 10 years, that is what they did. Cajasor built developments along the coast, really far away from Córdoba, and more developments outside of Madrid, which is 250 miles away. They opened a travel agency. They invested in three construction companies. And the loans grew and grew and grew in size. The way they expanded was by getting into giving loans for mortgages and for real estate promotions. And what you're using to give those loans is you're borrowing it from international banks or international markets in many cases. Oh, so the they expansion. stopped. So they stopped using regular people's deposits in the banks to make their loans, and they started borrowing from from international markets. Exactly. They, like from who? They, who were they borrowing from? I would think you should picture a large German bank or a large insurance company. The Germans definitely the Germans and the largest creditors of of, of the Spanish financial system. Sí, fondo de inversión, incluso también algún fondo de inversión americano. Yes, largely German and British investment funds, pension funds, but also some American ones. This is Juan Ojeda in Córdoba. He worked with the Cajasor board for many years. But suddenly, from a traditional business of relying on small investors saving their small investments in the banks, we changed to suddenly working with companies that were making vast and spectacular amounts of money, very quickly. And that was a jarring sensation. Cajas were set up to be small and local, to take deposits and make small loans. But now there was a new kind of money available. One caja opened an airport in La Mancha. Don Quixote land. <laughs> right. Apparently it is still just as remote and empty as when Don Quixote was there. Only now there is an airport in the middle of all those fields sitting, you know, 120 miles from Madrid. Mm, useful. Right. Another caja opened a theme park, but mostly cajas got deep, deep into lending for housing developments and resorts and commercial buildings. So it started to matter that the people running Spain's cajas were politicians who knew, you know, a lot about winning elections, but not so much about international finance. Or in the case of Caja Sor, the problem was they knew more about running mass than a bank. Yeah, another person from Cajasor, Rafael Campanero Usman, he was the secretary of the executive committee at Cajasor, and he says at this time that did become a problem. It was too personally based. When the real estate sector was really developing, you found priests were basing important financial decisions on the basis of friendship. Yes, I like you. You can have this. They were swept away by these friendships. You have to bear in mind that just this city has 340,000 people living in it. You need to have cold blood to make decisions of this nature. That wasn't happening. You can have a caja run by priests or politicians or flower shop owners, and it can work okay. It did for hundreds of years if everyone stays very safe and local. But throw in a real estate bubble and lots of cheap money, it gets complicated. Here's Luis Garicano again, the tea man. If you're doing something very small, you cannot make much damage. But once you are using such a governance structure to give loans in the hundreds of millions of euros um, or in the billions in some cases to real estate developments, for example, then 
suddenly you have an institution that doesn't fit at all this this problem and what you have is loans that are crazy you have uh, a village in the outskirts of madrid with 16000 60000 units sold where nobody's going to live nobody's going to live there because of course by 2009 the real estate bubble in spain had popped and all those homes that cajasor and dozens of other cajas built are empty According to a Morgan Stanley report, the Cajas backed a construction boom that added close to 2.8 million homes over five years, and only about half of those were actually sold. Construction companies like the ones Cajasor invested in and all across Spain are going bankrupt right now. The airport in La Mancha is a ghost airport. On the side of what have you done with the money you've borrowed, well, these Cajas now have lent it to a large extent to real estate developments which are never going to take place. And these loans are, are probably, uh, many of them, irrecoverable. And where did the, coming com- the money come from? Well, it's kind of hotter money. It's money that it's not as steady as your deposit. It's money that, that uh, is going to get scared because it doesn't understand exactly what's happening. And this confusion, this is the thing that is the most dangerous. No one knows how bad the situation is. Everyone knows the cajas are sitting on bad loans, but... What is unclear is how bad, how many. Cajas don't all publish regular financial reports, so that makes it really hard to see what's really going on. And Spain has a really high unemployment rate, which I'm sure is making things worse. There's a lot of people who maybe got help from family or friends to pay for mortgages, but if they don't find jobs and they default on those mortgages, that's just going to add to the losses. Right. The unemployment rate is 20%, which is the highest in the euro area. So there's a lot of unknown there. Now, the government of Spain does have a plan to try to save the cajas. It set up a fund of more than $125 billion for struggling cajas. And in May of this year, $691 million of it went to Cajasor in emergency aid. The priests were thrown out. There's a new set of people in charge. And the government now basically wants to replicate that kind of solution at Cajas all over Spain. So they're trying to combine Cajas, which involves getting politicians from one town who run a Caja to work with politicians from another town who run a Caja to work with priests. And so far, it's really complicated and really hard. talking more about the Spanish government's plan to save the Cajas on our next podcast. That won't be this Friday. We're going to have the day off for the holiday, but that'll come to you next Tuesday. And before we go, we want to say a very special thank you to some of our colleagues here in NPR New York, whose voices you don't normally hear. Neil Rausch and Brian McCabe did some voiceovers over the Spanish speakers for us in this podcast, so we want to thank them. And we also want to thank Jess Jang, who made her first appearance to all of you on the podcast today. You got to hear her voice, but she does really great work for us behind the scenes every day and has been a wonderful addition to Planet Money. So thank you, Jess. Yes, thanks, Jess. We're going to post a link to the Bank of International Settlements data on our website so you can see who owes who what. We'll also have some photos there that you took, Hana, of Cordoba and Cajasur. That's all on our blog, npr.org money. I'm Caitlin Kenny. And I'm Hana Jaffe-Wald. Happy New Year, and thank you for listening. Come.